0: Kings 2, we're in chapter 20. We saw the first five verses uh, of the chapter. We saw that King Chizkiyahu is critically ill. And the prophet Isaiah comes to him and tells him that he's going to die from his illness. He's not going to survive it. And we examined uh, why he was afflicted with this illness in the first place. We saw the Talmud in Masechet Berchot, page 10. There it said he was being punished for abstaining from marriage. He never got married, never had kids basic mitzvah in the Torah, number one mitzvah, be fruitful and multiply, he abstained. And there was a whole conversation there going on between him and Isaiah. We looked at that. And you know maybe before we continue here, speaking about Chizkiah, maybe I, I'll digress a bit uh, and talk about the purpose of the Shi'or, uh, why uh, we learn authentic Bible, why it's important here, and I, why do I call it authentic? Because we're bringing the Jewish sources, like I just mentioned the Talmud, in Berchot, to try to understand the complete picture of Chizkev's illness. If you want a complete picture of, of, of Bible, you got to bring in all that stuff. Uh, we look at the sages. We look at the commentators, the Radak, Rashi, Mitzudat David, Malbi, Marbanel. Today, we're going to take a look at the Rav Sadia So these are the classic Jewish commentators. Now, if you listen to uh, you know Bible classes, usually by a Christian, because we know that the Jews wrote the Bible, but the Gentiles read it, And so most of the commentaries aren't Jewish ones. And what's the difference? First of all, you have to know Hebrew. I mean, it's the holy language which the Bible was originally written in. And many who teach Bible, they're basically winging it. They're interpreting things a certain way according to what makes sense to them or what they feel. Now, of course, you should apply your intellect and and understanding of your own. It's always good. But you should also, you have to connect yourselves to those biblical scholars like Rashi, like Radak, who I bring in the or Why? Because those scholars aren't just winging it. They know the entire Bible thoroughly, like the palm of their hand. And if a word or expression appears in some episode, they know exactly where that word appears in every other place in the Bible. So they have context. And context is everything. That's not winging it. So it's okay to instinctively feel something when you read it. Uh, but learning the commentaries of the sages, that will only add to your understanding. Okay, so I think I got that out of my system. Let's go back. So Chizkiyahu, he hears the doomsday prophecy that he's going to die. And then we see him pray intensely to Hashem and he manages to reverse the prophecy. So Isaiah has to return to him. Isaiah barely left the palace and he has to now return and tell Chizkiyahu that he's going to live after all, And that's where we left off in verse five. Let's read it. Hashem says to Isaiah, Shuv, return. That is return to Chizkiyahu, and you should say to Chizkiyahu, the ruler of my people, Hashem David So as the Lord of your God David said, Shamati Etfila I have heard your prayer, and I saw your tears, Hineni Bayom, I will heal you. On the third day, taleh Beit Hashem. So you will be healed, you will be cured of your illness, and on the third day you'll go to the house of the Lord. And what that means is that after somebody recovers from a, from an illness, uh, it's an obligation to offer a korban todah, an offer of thanks. So you'll be going to the Beit HaMikdash in three days and offering a sacrifice of thanks for recovering from your illness. And now the Prophecy gets even more specific as we go to verse six, and it says, "And I will add fifteen years to your life." So, like I said, it's getting very uh, specific. He's gonna live another fifteen years instead of dying now, and that kind of proves um, maybe what uh, the what the Talmud told us in Olas that we looked at Masechet Brachot, and it said that he had not had children. And we know that Menashe, his child, who was going to reign after him, we'll see in the next chapter, it said he ruled at the age of 12. So if he ruled, ruled at the age of 12 and Chizkiah was going to live another 15 years, that means Menashe wasn't born yet. So again, that kind of bears out what we saw last time, that Chizkiah indeed had not been married, had not had children up to now. And then the prophecy continues, And from the hand of the king of Assyria, I will save you. And I will save you and the city, and I will protect the city. For my sake, and for the sake of my servant David. So, not only will you be healed, and you will survive your sickness, and you'll be well, but the Jewish people will not fall into the hands of Assyria. And this is what we mentioned in the last year on the very first verse. How do we open up? In those days, Hizkiyahu fell sick. In what days? In the days that Assyria was threatening Judea. They had a siege on the city. So this was all happening at the same time. As we mentioned then, that's a lot of pressure Hizkiyahu was under. And you know, you really can't separate Hizkiyahu's health and the health of the the Jewish people. That is, his personal uh, illness and the Jewish people being threatened of exile and destruction, it kind of goes together and you kind of know that if Chizkiah is going to get out of this thing, the Jewish people are also going to come out of it too. kind of goes together. What we see here in verse 6 is all of the fears and all the pressure Chizkiah was under in one verse, boom, vanished. Everything's going to be okay. You're going to get out of this. The Jewish people are going to get out of this. That's going to be a tremendous weight off the shoulders of King Chizkiah. And now Isaiah is going to continue continue in verse 7. How is he going to heal him? How he's going to heal from this? That is, when you get a, a decree or a prophecy that uh, something's going to happen, you still have to do something about it. You don't just sit and wait for it to happen. Like for anything else, you pray for Parnassah, you got to go out and work. You pray for a Shidduch, you got to go out and meet somebody. It's not going to happen by itself. So we're going to see now Chizkeh taking measures to cure himself from his illness. Through natural means. So it says in verse 7, So Isaiah said, Take a a cake of figs. You know, figs are are really big in Eretz Israel. You got a lot of fig trees. Take a cake of figs. And place it on your boil. Remember, we said that he had a boil. That was his illness. He had boils. Shreen, call it like a big wart. And he placed it on there and it will be healed. And that's what he did. He placed it on there and it was healed. And if we recall, we had an, uh, an interesting measure for measure, a punishment that was mentioned by Chazal, not because he didn't have children, but maybe also, why was he punished? We said because he peeled off the gold of the threshold of the temple to fork it over to the king of Assyria. And so too now his his skin was peeling. Just reminding you of that. But, so he has a boil. They put it on a... Uh, on some, figs. Like we say, you gotta, you gotta do something when you, uh, were promised. Even a miracle happens. You have to make effort as we've seen all along. We saw Eliao and Alicia revive the dead child. We saw how they had to give a mouth to mouth resuscitation as if it was really, um, reviving the dead, but you would do that anyway if somebody was dying. Right? So you got to almost minimize the miracle and do what you can to make it happen. And, uh, But it's interesting, Rashi brings something uh, a little bit different. He says that, and he brings this from the Mechilta, from the Midrash, that actually this was a miracle within a miracle because uh, pressed figs, if you put figs on a a wound, it's really not good for the wound. It's like you're putting an injurious substance on vulnerable tissue and you make it actually worse. But this time it became healed. So we have like a, a special miracle, which was similar to in the days of Moses, he cast a bitter tree into the waters of Marah and he sweetened them, which didn't make sense. How could you sweeten bitter waters by casting a, uh, a tree in it? You, you know, put, put sugar in it. Or when Elisha cast salt into the waters of Jericho and he made them fit to drink, right? We learned that in chapter two in Kings two, how Elisha did that miracle. So we saw sometimes Hashem will um, ask us to make us take a measure that's the opposite of what it should, should be, to kind of show us that in the end, Hashem, He is the healer, and all that we're doing is like symbolic gestures to heal ourselves. Okay, so after um, Chizkiyahu takes this fig, or these figs, and puts it on his big wart, and it was healed, we have Chizkiyahu telling Isaiah, or asking Isaiah the following, And Chizkiyahu said to Isaiah, What is a sign or give me an indication that Hashem will indeed heal me? And that I will go up to the temple of the Lord on the third day. That's what you said is going to happen to me? Can you give me a sign that this is going to happen? And Isaiah is going to give him a sign. Verse 9. And Yeshua said, Here's the sign from Hashem. And this will prove that Hashem will fulfill His word, and this is the oath. This is the sign. Shall the shade advance ten steps, or miyshu Eser malot, or should it come back ten steps? So what's going on here? Um, well, in those days they had this sundial. It was like a, like um, a shadow clock. How did you know what time it was? By where the shadow was positioned on the steps, you knew what the time was. So Isaiah is giving Chizkiyahu the option here. I'm going to do a miracle for you as a sign, indication that you will be healed and the Jewish people will be saved. But you can choose. Do you want the the, the shade to advance 10 steps as if time went really fast and it went ahead? Or do you want it to go back 10 steps? You choose. So Chizkiyahu says in verse 10, lintot it's no big deal for the shade to advance 10 steps. But it would be an amazing thing if it returned 10 steps. So on this shadow clock or this sundial, um, either way, it's a miracle. If, it goes, if the shade jumps ahead 10 steps, it goes back 10 steps, right? Each step, of course, represents what time it is. But Chizkiah says, if it just advances 10 steps, people just say, just might say, hey, time really flies. They might not notice the miracle. But if it goes back 10 steps, if it returns, the shadow 10 steps backwards, whoa, that would be very noticeable. So that's what Chizkiah wants to happen, that it returns, that the shade returns 10 steps. Verse 11, And Isaiah the prophet called out to the Lord, Right? You got to call out to the Lord for this miracle to happen. It's not going to happen uh, so easily. He's got to pray for this to happen. And indeed, uh, they brought, he, Hashem brought back the shade on the steps that had got down on the steps of Achaz, backward, 10 steps. So it's uh, a little clumsy, the verse, but what we learn from this, that Hashem indeed made the shade go back, reverse, 10 steps, as if time went backwards or stood still. And it calls it the steps of Ahaz. Now, Ahaz was the father of Chizkiah, as we know. And he built this sundial. He built this very special uh, shade clock. And you can see pictures of it. Uh, It was a common way of telling the time. Maybe I'll attach a picture to it, to the Shi'or. And why did they mention Achaz here? So we learned it from uh, Tractate Sanhedrin. Why did we throw in the fact that Ahaz built this thing? So it says like this, the day that Ahaz died, remember, Ahaz was a wicked king, right? He's the father of Chizkiah. On the day that Ahaz died, the day was shortened. That is, it was a shorter day. And the shade hastened to advance 10 steps. So the shade went forward. It advanced 10 steps. Why? lest he be eulogized. Because Hashem didn't want uh, Achaz to be eulogized because everybody would say what a great king he was, what a wonderful king, and he wasn't. So Hashem made the day go really fast. He advanced the 10 steps. And now those 10 hours are being returned in the days of Chizkiyahu. So that's kind of a parenthetical midrash there. But in any case, I want to examine this phenomenon of, of signs of this ot, This is the second time Chizkiyahu merited to see an ot, a sign or an indication that the prophecy is going to happen. We saw last chapter, Hashem also gave him a sign. After Isaiah's uh, dramatic prophecy that Schan's will fall, Isaiah reinforced the prophecy with a sign. He said the land will give forth produce each year. There will be more agricultural growth. We had a whole bunch of verses about what the ot was, what the sign was. Here too, Chizkiyahu gets a sign that he's going to be healed. And here he asks for it. Now, if you ask for a sign, you want an indication that the prophecy will indeed be fulfilled. It kind of sounds like you lack faith. It means you need reinforcement that God can fulfill his word. Now, it says in many places in the Torah, don't test Hashem. Don't test him. Don't ask for signs. And this is most clearly expressed in an episode in Exodus, in chapter 17. We have the story where the Jewish people were in the desert, thirsty for water. And Moses said, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test Hashem? That was the words he used. Why are you testing Hashem? Why do you put him to the test? And in the end, Moshe struck the rock. The water came out of the rock. And the episode ends where the Bible says they called the place Masah. That is the name of the location where this all happened, where the people complained, was called Masah, from the word Nisayon, which means testing Hashem. They tested Hashem. And uh, they said that the Lord isn't amongst us. That's the verses in chapter 17 there in Exodus. Kind of teaches us that you don't test Hashem. Doesn't look good to test Hashem and to ask for proof that God is amongst us. So the point is, testing Hashem seems to be saying, I don't believe you, show me a sign. That shows lack of faith. If you need a sign, it means you're doubting that Hashem can come through. After all, Hashem tests us. We don't test Him just like Hashem tested Abraham. Yet here in our story, Hiskiah was praised for requesting a sign. Well, he's not praised for it outwardly, but there seems to be no problem with it. He's not criticized it by anyone for requesting a sign. So why? Why is it okay? Now to figure this out, let's give another famous example where we saw a Jewish leader request an ot, a sign, an indication from Hashem. And that's the famous story of the judge Gideon, In the book of Judges, chapter 6, what happens over there? Hashem tells Gideon, go and save the Jewish people and lead them and liberate them from the yoke of Midian. And Gideon asked for a sign. Actually, he asked for several signs. First, he offered a goat. An angel came down and consumed it with fire. Later on, he still wasn't convinced. He asked for two more signs. He placed the wool on the threshing floor. And he said to Hashem, if the wool is wet from the dew that comes down in the morning, the next morning I'm going to come out. And if the wool is wet and the ground is dry, I know that I will save Israel or I know that you will save Israel, deliver the enemy into my hand and I'll be the leader and I'll be successful. And then after that worked, he did it again. He turned it around. He said, I want the wool to be dry now and the ground to be wet. So we kept requesting signs and they all happened. And we don't see Gideon criticized for this and neither is Chizkiah. So why not? Well, Rab Sadia Gaon, the great Rasag, he lived over a thousand years ago. And he says that it depends on the guy who's asking for the sign. It depends on the mode of the of the tester. Gideon wasn't doubting Hashem's abilities. He wasn't doubting that Hashem could perform the miracle. He wasn't doubting that Hashem could save the Jewish people, but he was doubting his own worthiness. He didn't think he was able to do it because Gideon, he was kind of known as a lightweight judge. He wasn't a heavyweight. We say that specifically, in uh when Schmuel talks about the judges, uh, when he's giving out uh, the Gilgal, when he's uh, chastising Saul, he talks about the history of the judges and they call Gideon a lightweight. Uh, he wasn't one of the heavy hitters. But what was he? He's a good Jew, working in the land. Gibor Chael, a man of valor, cared about his people, and Hashem chose him. But he came from a family of idol worshippers, And that's why uh, one of his names is Yeruvu Baal. Yeruv Baal. He fought with the Baal. So the sign that Gideon wanted was to reinforce his own faith. He needed the Chizuk. Same thing with Chiskeyau. He's dying of this brutal illness. He doesn't feel worthy of lead, to lead. He's just not feeling it. His illness is a threat on his ability to stand at the head of this struggle against the Syrians. So he's not doubting Hashem. He's doubting his own worthiness. If he's worthy of the miracle. Remember the situation, everything's crumbling around him. Judea is devastated. Jerusalem is the remnant. And now he is hurt on his own body. So he's got to be feeling rejected and unworthy. And that's why he's requesting an ot, a sign, an indication. And Rabbi Ariel, in his commentary at Mikdash Melach, he adds that both Chizkiyahu and Gideon, they're not just doubting themselves, but there's another factor. Maybe the nation isn't worthy of a miracle. Maybe that's why they want an indication. Because in both cases with Gideon and Chizgiel, we're not talking about just a private miracle for you, but it's the redemption of the Jewish people as a whole. It's not about some moment uh, the Jews are thirsty, they need some water, like in the desert, but we're talking about the redemption of the nation at large, and therefore, they feel a oath is necessary, and we'll continue later.